Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing, and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Today, we're talking all about how to navigate triggering food and body comments this holiday season. When you're recovering from an eating disorder, comments about your body or what you're eating can be really upsetting. No matter what size you are, it can really steer you off course. And that is why we're re-releasing a roundtable conversation we had last year with Team Recovery Warriors. You'll hear from past and present members of the team as we share tips to help you cope and stay on track when those unhelpful food and body comments come up. And they are extra frequent this time of year with all the holiday parties and family gatherings going on. You might cross paths with that relative who just always has to say something about your body or what you're eating. And even if people aren't talking directly to you, they can make comments about their own body or a diet that they're on, which is triggering in its own right. And with this re-release, we're saying a farewell to the five things format. We love it dearly and we will miss it as we move towards focusing Recover Strong on conversational interviews starting in the new year. Thank you for being by our side as we continue to evolve and grow as a podcast channel. While we love the creativity and the originality of the five things format, we have found it to be heavy in resources to produce. And we believe you can get just as much value out of less structured conversations with eating disorder experts and warriors with lived experience. And I'm excited to share that we are currently working on new episodes of Recover Strong to release in the new year. And I'm excited to continue as your host and introduce you to some amazing guests as we discuss topics that will help you gain the tools and mindset shifts that you need for a lasting recovery. And speaking of mindset, we're also excited to be debuting the five-day mindset makeover for you, Warrior. It is a repeatable step-by-step protocol to confidently put you in control of your recovery, even during those days, weeks, or months where it feels really hard. So if you're feeling stuck or blocked from reaching your full potential when it comes to recovering from an eating disorder, you need a mindset reset. Go through the five-day mindset makeover at recoverywarriors.com slash mindset and feel your energy flow forward into new ways of thinking, being, and believing in yourself and your recovery. Podcast listeners get 50% off the mindset makeover and the special holiday bonuses it comes with. So to claim this offer, go to recoverywarriors.com slash mindset. Now let's get into our special throwback episode on navigating triggering food and body comments this holiday season. Today we have a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. 
Each week we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve your body image, five insecurities that are holding you back, or today's topic of five annoying food and body comments. Now around this time of year, with so many family and social gatherings, it is so common to hear a lot of frustrating things just fly out of people's mouths. You're like, wait, what did you just say? That hurt. I don't feel good when you say that. And it can be a very triggering time. And I am so excited to say that our featured wisdom sharing for this episode comes from Team Recovery Warriors. I am so proud of our talented team of warriors. Each member has a personal experience of battling an eating disorder and unique skills that match their passion for helping others find recovery. Today we have Andrea, Madeline, and Miriam with us. Hi, I'm Andrea. I am the podcast producer for Recovery Warriors shows, and I am responsible for scheduling guests and ultimately growing our network of shows. I am Madeline. I am the brand designer, and I'm responsible for making our company vision come to life and build connections in our community to share all of our resources. My name is Miriam, and I'm the chief editor, uh, which means I'm responsible for all the editorial content on Recovery Warriors. So now you met the team, let's dive in. We are here to talk about five annoying food and body comments from family and friends. Number one, you look like you've gained weight. Good for you. Or you look like you've lost weight. Good for you. All right, this is definitely more of our weight body focus comment, which is so common when you get to a event where you haven't seen somebody, maybe it's a dinner where you haven't seen family members in forever, and they remember you from a whole year ago, and your body's changed in the process of recovery. And so this comment can definitely be a bit of a surprise when you're just getting to see somebody for the first time and can all of a, all of a sudden just put this body-centered focus on to the conversation. How are you able to work with this comment or initially what did it feel like for you when you were in the process of recovery? Yeah, I remember this was one of the things that I struggled with the most, especially because I wouldn't see my family very often. So when I would see them and, you know, they would remember me from a year ago or even longer being this like fragile, like looking just really, really sick. And so they were very concerned. So one of the ones I remember specifically where one of my aunts, she's always super sweet. I love her. And she's super concerned would tell me like, Oh, I'm so happy you gained weight. Like looks so good, but you know, keep going. And to me, it sounded like, all right, I should probably stop gaining weight because I look big now or fat or whatever thought I would get. Like it would kind of feed into the disordered thinking, which I don't think they realized. Obviously they were sort of relieved that they were, that they felt like they had to be less worried So I think for me, the way I kind of handled that was trying to change the conversation and just not really responding to it. So more be like, huh, okay, Uh, you know what, what are you watching these days on Netflix? Or what have you done over the past few weeks? Or what is your, you know, do you like the new Taylor Swift album or something like that? So like really changing the conversation was kind of for me the way to deal with that. And over the years, it just had less power over me. So those comments would just be more like, okay, they're going to say that I I know I'm prepared. And and that was it. Yeah. One thing that I found that's helpful is like, just to know that people are all kind of 
when they first get to these family gatherings, they're all kind of nervous and in themselves. And so they're like, don't know what to say to like connect in the beginning. And often the first thing that they're looking at is like the body. So they're like, we're going to comment on the body. And so even eating disorder aside, I think that's just a very common experience to have people talk about the appearance as like the very first connection point and to not take it personally or just to understand like that's kind of what happens. Uh, Madeline, did you have any kind of experiences with this in, in your recovery, this comment? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think in a slightly different way. So, um, you know, my family has a kind of a psychological background, so they were always quite aware. So I think I got it more also from friends or people who maybe didn't know me so well, but definitely this idea of making a comment on someone's body, especially for me, and this was my experience, in the direction of like skinny. So, oh, you're so skinny. I mean, someone once said to me at my at my work, oh, Maddie, oh, you look so skinny. How do you do that? Do you like not eat or something? And I remember just being so caught off guard. I had no idea what to say. I was kind of like, oh, ho, ho, ho. and again, in my disordered mind, like kind of like Miriam said, it, it really fed into that because as much as in her mind, it was a compliment that she was telling me I'm skinny and I look good. In my mind, I was kind of like, oh yeah, oh, she thinks I'm skinny. Perfect, 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 perfect. Let's keep going. That means I'm on the right track. So again, one of the most powerful realizations for sure that I had in my recovery was this idea that, you know, commenting on bodies, no matter what direction, frankly, is just inappropriate because you don't know what somebody else is living through. And what you might think is a compliment might be setting off all kinds of fireworks in their mind. So to definitely stay away from that. And what I do now, definitely kind of like Miriam said, is if I'm not feeling super comfortable, I just kind of ignore it and I try to move on to something else. Or if I'm feeling kind of more comfortable and a little more ballsy in that moment, I might say something like, you know what? I'd really rather not talk about my body. Let's talk about something else. Mm, I like that. I like how you like go by the moment by moment. If you're feeling sassy and like you can say that then, but other times I'm just going to slowly like, step away from that and move the conversation elsewhere. Andrew, did you ever have an experience around that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think out of the five things, this is the one that even now gets my juices flowing the most. Because I don't think I've told either, like any of you so far, exactly what my diagnosis was for ED. I'm still new. We're still getting to know each other. But I was diagnosed with, um, back in the day, it was EDNOS, E-D-N-O-S, eating disorder, not otherwise specified. I believe now it's... Um, other specified feeding and eating disorder. But basically, I cycled through every disordered behavior, restriction, binging, purging. It just depended on the week, the day, the month. So my body size fluctuated a lot because of that. So up and down, yo-yo dieting, basically. And particularly from family, especially my father, he would be well-intended. And I think it's tricky when people try to comment like, oh, you lost weight. You're looking smaller. Like They think they mean well. They think they're being nice. And I would get that from my father a lot, but it was the most triggering, traumatizing thing because it is like Miriam and Madeline ma uh, mentioned, it's feeding into the eating disorder. Like, okay, cool. So I got to keep doing this. I got to keep starving myself. I have to keep purging you know, people are approving, people are happy, it would make me feel worthy. And then when I'd cycle through different behaviors, which would cause my body size to get bigger, and then suddenly, those comments go away, like the silence would be deafening. And once in a while, people usually w like wouldn't comment at all. Yeah, it was silent. And once in a while, again, usually my father would comment your body size, you know, you've gained weight, you're looking bigger. And the shame of that, that was really intense. So that's, 
was a big part of uh, my struggle with an eating disorder is receiving those type of comments. And the way that I've overcame that and dealt with it is I think number one is just working on detaching my worth from my body size and my looks. That's been so important and so helpful over the years. And also just setting boundaries. You know, when I started recovery uh, about five or six years ago now, almost six, I was in a program and I learned like, you can set boundaries. Like I learned about boundaries for the first time in my life. And I explicitly told my father, friends and family, like, please like do not comment on my body size, whether it's changing, just anything at all related to weight. It is harmful to me because of my experience with an eating disorder. And the best way you can help me is to just be quiet about it. And for the most part, it's been very well respected. So that's helpful. And kind of like Madeline said, there are some times or some moments where, yeah, you might hear someone that isn't in your inner circle may say something and I may not feel as comfortable to set that kind of boundary. So it's usually just, well, try and change the subject or smile and nod. It just depends on your comfort in that moment. But for the main people in my life, the people in my inner circle, I did feel comfortable to set those boundaries and people know my experience with eating disorder and recovery. So that's been manageable for this one. But even still thinking about it, looking back, it's like, wow, those comments, it was like what I lived for. I lived to be told that you've lost weight. And when I was told the opposite or I didn't hear that, it wrecked me. So that was bad. <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's so funny when you're talking and you mentioned father, all of a sudden I like everything just came back to me. I'm like, wait, I actually did get like teased a lot like, by my dad about my weight. And he would like poke at my stomach and grab it and and like try to grab my um, my love handle, like my, you know, my sides and be like, you're, you're gaining weight. And so that, you know, that does really impact you in that moment. I can bring up a lot of shame. You can question your food choices then for the rest of the night. So it can be a really shameful experience to have anyone comment on your weight, whether it's higher or lower than um, whatever comment they make around it. So I love how we finished up with boundaries there as a way to really set, hey, this is okay. This is not okay. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. This isn't, my body isn't something to make a conversation piece around nor is other people's bodies a thing for us to make a conversation pieces around. All right, now let's move on to our next annoying food and body comment from family. Number two, are you sure you want that? So this is that one when you like just get that plate and you're like, all right, I'm going to try something new here. I'm going to you know, push outside of my comfort zone, maybe go outside of what I normally eat and people see me eat. And then you get this kind of suspicious food police voice coming in asking you, are you sure you want to eat that? Who has any kind of experiences with this food policing? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. So I, I think it's actually more like something that came up for me a little after I was recovered since I moved to the US and really had I had these like Thanksgiving dinners every year. So like really be a part of that. And I remember last year, specifically during Thanksgiving, I asked someone, I was like, oh, what is that? And she was like, oh, just pure fat, you know, go for it if you want. And I was like, okay, this is weird. But for me, what it does now, it actually makes me kind of annoyed. So I don't feel like upset over that anymore. I just or stressed or make me feel like, oh, I have to restrict or I have to do something about this and anxious. I just get in a mode of like, all right, you know, let's do some teaching here. And I start talking to people 
So I was like, okay, this is a good teaching moment. I would actually start talking about how, you know, labeling food for me has never been a good solution. And I think that in, in and of itself, it's just never helping you in any way when you try to make it sound like fat is better, is worse or like, you know, greens are better and like there should be a place for all of those foods. So for me, like now it's more of a way of like, okay, let's have a conversation about how I feel about this with this other person rather than feeling very stressed over it or anxious so to me that is like major progress like it no longer has the same effect it did like 10 years ago where i would be incomplete like oh my gosh i i, I shouldn't eat this should i put this on my plate yes or no it's gonna be so bad for me and like all those flaws that it would trigger and, and and again i think we said all of this like people typically don't really realize the effect uh of comments especially when people have an eating disorder but i also think people that don't have an eating disorder can feel very like a lot of discomfort when someone says that to you because it, it immediately sort of attacks your food choices and be like, Oh, you know, really? Are you going to try to, are you going to eat that? It's so bad for you that you're like, wait, I thought we we're just having dinner. Why do we even talk about this? So yeah, for me really like at this point talking to people about why I don't label foods as good or bad is kind of my way of dealing with this. It's funny you say that it makes me think of the one comment that comes to my mind is, um, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips, you know? And it's like, I've heard that from a lot of people, not even in relation to, let's say, me or my body or, or my eating disorder, but it's sort of this culturally just totally accepted, like, comment to make. And it's just so weird because kind of like Miriam just said, like, aren't we just having dinner? And why do I need to feel all of a sudden like I'm being watched or like I'm being a watched and then judged on the choices that I'm making around food. Like I feel like in definitely one of my learnings with like diet culture and recovery was just this idea that like nobody has any entitlement to make any judgments or comments, not about me and me, not about them. Like let's just let people live and not feel like we yeah have any sort of entitlement to, to make a comment on it. And for sure, I mean, educating people when you have, I guess, the energy and you feel comfortable to do that, I, I think that's great. That's definitely something that I fall back to, too. I think one of the things that I sometimes struggle with with that is, um, so for example, a person that says that in my life definitely has said similar comments is my boyfriend's mom. And I love her dearly. I really do. She's She's so, so sweet. And I think she just comes from a different generation where that was even more normal, you know? And I've tried to sort of say things, but I also kind of often feel like it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't really feel like she's receiving it. She's not really able to understand what I'm trying to say. So again, I think self-compassion is so important to kind of look at the situation, try to judge what's going to make me feel best here, because that's also ultimately what it's about. And if you do have the energy, of course, definitely educate, use the opportunity. And if not, definitely at least take yourself out of it, right? try to change the conversation, walk away from the conversation, whatever has to happen. Yeah. And that is not even true, that statement. Like, it was so funny because the other day I was like washing my dishes and that statement popped in my mind and I was like, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> I know. Isn't it awesome though? I mean, I just need to say that. I'm so happy that I can like laugh about that now and I hear that. And as Miriam said, it doesn't actually affect me anymore. I can just kind of let it be and let it bounce off of yeah. me. What about you, Andrea? You know, this one... I resonated with it a little less. Basically, my thought with the comment of, are you sure you want that? Is like, I wish my family was that nice about it. <laughs> They're a little more direct and negative about it. So, yeah. <laughs> I know one time I had this comment. It was 
I was at Whole Foods and it was with my brother and I just got some bread, totally going outside of my comfort zone to just get a white sourdough bread. And I remember him like looking like, are you sure you want that bread? And it really hit me hard because of course the eating store is like, <gasps> like I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone here. Like, should I have the bread? Like my brother's telling me not to have the bread. Like, why? Why is he why is he questioning the bread? Like my dietitian's telling me to eat bread. That's on my like exchanges now, like to to have that. And so it was just this total like war zone in my head about this this simple little basket of bread that I was starting to like, you know, open up to the idea that I I can have this. And I I recognized in that moment it was really hard for me. And then now years later, I when I actually we were able to talk about this later, like he was really confused with what I wanted because he saw me going up and down with my like dieting and I'm not eating this, I am eating this. So sometimes people in our lives are just genuinely confused because they see us sometimes having this and then not having this. And like he really didn't know like if I if bread was what I I wanted or I needed, like he was just confused himself. So I had more compassion for him. At first I thought he was just being a total a-hole and like was being insensitive, but then when we were able to talk about it, he was just really genuinely confused. He didn't know like what was going on with me and my food choices or just he saw them fluctuate a lot. So yeah, that was that was the infamous, are you sure you want that? So now when people ask that, it's nice to just be able to confidently say, yes, I do because I'm having it. Well, this brings us to our third annoying food and body comment from family. Number three. Wow, that is a big piece. Eyes wide open, staring at your plate. This one is more of the judgment, right? Someone being really judgmental, somewhat similar to that food policing, but it's definitely kind of saying, hey, look at that. Look at what you're eating. That is really big. So it can call into, I think, question your food portions. And that can be really hard when you and yourself are trying to increase your food portions or start to you know, allow new foods in, in, in new ways. So who has an experience around this that you want to share or just any insights on this comment on big piece? <laughs> yeah, this is another one that's a a big one I resonate with. And when I mentioned before, like, I wish my family was that nice. This is as nice as it got would be something that's like, wow, that's a big piece. And also a lot of just being more overt, like, that's a big piece in an angry tone, or that's too much, that's too big. So even more overt about it. Um, And I remember one time I was cooking, which I rarely did when I was growing up, because of my family and the comments they would make. But my dad was out for a few hours and I felt safe to try cooking. And I made something. And he came home earlier than expected, saw what was on my plate and was like, wow, that's a lot of food. And shame kicks in. I threw the food in the garbage and went and cried in my room. And, you know, I got those kind of comments all the time. I was pretty used to it. But that one, I think it caught me off a little more because I thought I was safe to be alone, but I wasn't. And how I have dealt with those types of comments growing up and into my adulthood is once again, setting boundaries. Uh, It's just been helpful. It's so powerful (laughs) to do that and just like let people know, let my dad know, let everyone know. Same way 
I did with talking about my body is please do not talk about my food or what's on my plate or my food intake. It's harmful. It's unhelpful. Even when you're trying to be well-intended, I need like privacy and silence about that for the most part. So that's how I deal with that. Good old fashioned boundaries. Once again, you are a boundaries badass. I, I love I can it. Be. <laughs> <laughs> this one also could be like, so wow, that is a big piece. It also could kind of go under this like, I thought you'd be afraid of eating that or, oh, I'm so proud of you. Like you are eating a big piece because maybe you never really do have dessert and they're watching you eat dessert. And then, so this one can kind of be also in, in under those kind of just watchful eyes commenting on the portion size. Totally. And I feel like what it makes me think of too, like when I reflect on this, what I've started to do with that one in particular, because sometimes it's a little bit more... I guess not always, right, uh, Andrea, if it's more phrased very directly, but sometimes it's sort of a little bit abstract. And so something like I would respond something like, yeah, yeah, it is a really big piece. It's really good. Do you want some? You know, like, <laughs> I'm just going to slide right back by that or also to even kind of challenge them a little bit to be like, yeah, okay. And like, can you please now vocalize what the problem is with that? Like, you know, I like that. I'm going to try yeah, like that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And? <laughs> Yeah, because I feel like it's so, you know, again, diet culture, it can be so normal to like, talk about this about other people. And I feel like and also to sort of have that correlation, whether it's between body size or portion sizes, that that means something about me or my health or my behaviors. And I feel like we all need to understand that it doesn't, right? We can't draw a conclusion just by looking at someone's portion size or looking at their body size. And it's not our place either. I agree with that. I, I love what you said, Madeline, because that's what I have been doing too with this specific thing. Be like, okay, yeah, you want some too? Like, you know, go for it. But also to me, I think in general, where we really are with this is like, it's so normalized. It's just like all the, the memes that you see now here in the US is like, gobble till you wobble. It's, it's around the corner, you know, Thanksgiving is coming. Like on Friday, you know, let's lay on the couch and don't eat. And I'm like, okay, this is like, gets a little old. Like, so I think it's okay to speak up and say these things. So when someone, you know, approaches you and say something like that, says something like that, to just be like, yeah, so what? Have some too. Or don't. It's really good. I baked it. So it must be good. <laughs> I love it. In like with this one too, I found because I don't. I'm trying to like maybe it'll come back to me, but I don't really know if I got this comment as much. Maybe what I could remember though is when other people because when I when I had the eating disorder, I was much more watchful as well of everybody's portions. I mean, I was looking at what everybody was putting on their plate and like how much and how fast they were eating. It was mm. like because it was part of the obsession. Like it wasn't just my plate; it was everybody else's plate, and if someone on their plate said, wow, this is a big piece on their own plate or like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really going big here. And then I was like, oh, but mine was bigger. Like I start to compare plates against theirs. And that could also like bring in this own kind of like, wait, did I take too much or should I take less? So even with that one, I could notice if other people even said about their own plates or their own pieces that they were grabbing, it would make me question my own. So in a way, I was like outsourcing the power of my own internal hunger, like cues and awareness to what other people were doing to kind of see what's right, what's wrong, mm -hmm. or what's appropriate, what's un like inappropriate or inappropriate. And so now I, you know, it's so funny, like, I don't really 
like notice that anymore. It's almost like it's outside of my field of awareness because I'm no longer as focused on on portions and how much I'm eating because it's just I'm eating in a way that feels intuitive and what's right for me. And so I, I don't know if you guys have similar experiences around these things of just being more hyper vigilant of other people's yeah. foods. Yeah. What you said about comparing plates. Oh, I lived by that. And again, yeah, it takes you out of touch with your like natural intuitive eating that we all have. And that takes you so far away from it. And I've had to work on that over the years to the point where when you brought that up, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that I used to do that. I would always compare plates. You know, it's like, am I, is it more or less than the person next to me or that I'm with and like put my worth into that or if I did good or bad or whatever. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Maybe they were like restricting themselves. And so it's two people yeah. like oh. <laughs> trying to outrestrict each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of like as you guys are talking, it makes me think how it sort of like sets this bar of like normal in quotation marks, which of course doesn't really exist. I mean, aside from, of course, let's say if you're going through a plan, a meal plan, then of course, there's sort of a, a minimum portion size. But I know when I was going through recovery, my dietitian was very much also intuitive eating based. And the idea was also that if there does come a time where maybe you take two portions or three portions, or it's a huge portion, or you ate beyond your fullness or whatever, that's so part of the journey, right? So to not look at the portion size as as anything really like it's about how you feel not about whether your portion is right or wrong or anybody else's is right or wrong amen <laughs> yes so essentially whatever piece you want is the right piece for you and it doesn't matter what other people are eating or what they're commenting in about your piece and i love your guys' suggestions on boundaries and just saying yep that's what i'm eating or yes and I like that one kind of putting the ball in their court. And that means what? <laughs> um, finish that sentence, please. So awesome, guys. Well, now let's move on to our fourth annoying food and body comment from family. Number four. Don't worry, you can work it off tomorrow. So this one's definitely the... Uh, diet mentality that calories in equal calories out and anything we eat needs to somehow be compensated through our uh, cardio or fitness routine. And uh, this can definitely creep in regardless of people who have eating disorders just creep in because of diet mentality and the way um, we're, we're kind of taught to, to treat food and exercise. So who has some of these experience, any like fitness fanatics in your family or people who really talk about food and exercise in, in a symbiotic relationship? Um, I mean, I feel like, so for me, it's maybe less, I don't have, I don't know anybody who is a total fitness fanatic, but I did used to have a roommate who was obviously just herself very caught up in diet culture and in like, she had a very, um, rigorous exercise routine and she was very calculated in terms of her exercise and her food. So she would, you know, do things like we would, we work the same job at a restaurant. And often that meant, you know, working late until like midnight uh, or, or later. And then you haven't eaten since whatever it is, 3 p.m. before you started your shift, which of course in itself was problematic, but that's a topic for another day. And she would though, you know, say, just come home and we would live together. Right. And she'd be like, oh yeah, no, you know, I'm going to essentially like save my calories and I'm not going to eat anymore tonight because then tomorrow I can like do this. And there would be this whole like logic step as to why she was now choosing to do this. And I mean, definitely for me, that was so triggering to, to be around that. Like it definitely made me sort of follow suit and to 
be like, oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good logic. Like, let me hop on that train, you know? Um, so definitely, yeah, it was not, not great for me while I was in that recovered mindset. But now I'm definitely in a place where it, it wouldn't affect me in the same way. And I think I'd be able to sort of stand my own ground and really focus more on, I, I feel like that's a lot what it is, at least for me, recovery, right? This, this idea of really focusing on what feels good to me, connecting back to your feelings, to your intuition, and then also respecting that and setting your boundaries. And, you know, so yeah, that's kind of the thoughts that go through my head when I hear that. I remember that logic, definitely like the, if this, then that, if I do exercise for this long, then I can have this, or if I have this, then I have to exercise for that long. Yeah. And it creates such like a scarcity mindset because it's, you start to see everything as like a calorie count, like this, how long on the elliptical equals this. And and then you feel like you have to like lower what you end up just making choices based off of numbers. And nowadays, I mean, when I was in recovery, it wasn't like this, but now calories are on like all the menus yeah. and everything. So it starts to really, you start to like kind of, I can see how that could be a lot harder recovering in this day and age with having all this calorie info just publicly available on any food choice you're making at a restaurant. Oh, I hated that. I hated that in recovery. That was so hard. And I know actually when I went through recovery, that's something that I really challenged myself on. So when I was a little bit further and I was ready to do that, if I looked at a menu and I would always like intuitively, you look at the calories and you see the one with the most calories and you're like, well, I'm not getting that, you know? And then you go back to the other scale and you're like, well, which one has the lowest calories, you know? And it's kind of like, well, do I want that? And if you don't want that, well, maybe I'll go one up, but like, I won't go further than that, you know? Um, and one of the things I did later on in my recovery is I would recognize that thought and I'd be like, Mm-mm, Maddie, now you're getting the one with the most calories because you <laughs> had that thought. And that actually worked really well. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't die consuming all the calories. <laughs> yeah. I've just, I'm at the point where those numbers, I like don't even see them anymore. They're just tuned out of my mind. I just, they're, it's like, they're not even there. Thank God. But for a while it was not like that. It was like, they haunted me. Yeah, I feel like with, when it comes to that, like, I still notice when you're out with other people that they look, it's like, oh, what drink are we going to get? Like, you know, what margarita are we having? Oh, my gosh, look at this one. It's like X amount of calories. And I'm like, okay, so are we having a drink? Or are we gonna, you know, talk about calories or something? So I think, again, to like, for me, at least it helps to just be like, talk about it and then say, like, I don't want to, I don't care. I don't care how many calories are in there. Mm-hmm. It's really about like the satisfaction too, right? Because if we always choose for the option, because yeah, I would always go even with calories not on the menu. I kind of knew the calorie count around anything because I was like obsessed with logging all of that. And like you don't feel satisfied. It's just like when you get these little like 100 calorie packs and you end up like having like 10 of them. And it's like, well, I could have just had like one thing I liked that was, you know, like you end up just like, because you're not satisfied. It's just this like, and then that's where binge eating can come in more often or just starting to, you know, really reach for things that to try to fill that satisfaction. And oftentimes it can be just having what you truly want or what is a higher calorie count because that's what sounds more satisfying in, at the moment. And then I do think this does kind of just tie in with the work it off tomorrow because when we're thinking about burning off things, then calories I think are the, the thing that really can drive that type of logic, right? Like the calories are what I'm burning off or the calories are what I'm exchanging here for my exercise. Calories in, calories out. (laughs) Yeah. And food is not like, food shouldn't be a calculation. It's an intuition, right? Yes. Ooh, I like that. 
food is not a calculation, <laughs> it's an intuition. It's a good one. Yeah, and then I think when this comes up and then conversation, one thing what I've found is just to have more compassion for everybody at the dinner table or everybody at these parties that I'm at because this really like detaching from diet culture is a radical thing to do and the process of recovery really helps with that and starting to understand like, wait, this is like just one big systemic like illusion that we've all created. Like doesn't even work. I mean, you kind of see like behind the curtain and you're like, wait, but not everybody has awakened to that or still like have, have seen it. And just to have compassion for them at where they're at and like, not in like, I'm a better than you type of thing, but just like, you know what, if that's how they're, that's how they're seeing it, I can't change the way they are approaching the relationship to food, but I can work on my own self. Like I don't have to outsource my power, outsource my uh, decision-making to other people. At the same time, I can have a different truth than them. Yeah. And I don't need to change their truth in order for me to own my truth and live my truth. And in the long run, if you live that way and you live by example, and that helps people in the long run to learn another way that you don't have to subscribe to diet culture, that you can be free from that. So it is still helping people indirectly, ultimately, by taking care of yourself and handling it on your own end. Totally. And I also feel like that makes me think of like, when I've been in these situations now, more that I'm more recovered, I also feel like when we sort of step into our power and behave according to what's important to us, let's say in this example of choosing whatever beverage or food or it is that we want, regardless of the calories, it also kind of starts opening up the door for the other person to feel like they have their permission to do the same. And I know there's a few friends that I've been around where, again, this is my perception, but I do feel like it's almost like the more they you you hang out with them in those scenarios, you can almost tell, wait a minute, oh, she's just kind of ordering that this time. And we're not even having that conversation anymore. And that's super cool, right? So I feel like it can, again, if you're in the space to do it, right, then it can be a great opportunity to practice all that stuff. I think it goes this idea, like, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Gandhi said that. And also just the, like, best way to to model the behaviors you want to see in others is to, you know, live them yourself. Mm -hmm. And they may catch on, they may not, but at least you're living life in an authentic way for you. And so for this one... You don't have to work it off tomorrow. You can have it. There's no need to work it off. <laughs> yeah, there's no need to work it off. If you want to move, move. If you don't want to move, don't move. Now for our last annoying food and body comment from family. Number five. I assume you won't be having dessert? Now, this one can kind of sound like a harmless comment because maybe you haven't had dessert. Year after year, you're the one who's like, nope, I, I, I don't like sweets, you know, or like the eating disorder voice can kind of convince people that you don't want to have that. It can come in in that sense where they just don't really know. But at the same time, that can be a way to kind of feel like you're being put into a box or that, you know, they're making the decision for you. This can also be, I for me, I, I felt this one more in where like, I assume you don't want dessert because you shouldn't have dessert because dessert can lead to weight gain. That, that kind of like logic for them would be like, I assume you, you don't want to have this, right? Because you're trying to lose weight, essentially. It would kind of be the where I would interpret this one myself being like, oh, they think I shouldn't have dessert. 
So wait, maybe I shouldn't have dessert because they don't think I should have dessert. Anybody else get wrapped up into this assumption, putting you into a box or kind of an identity holding pattern? Definitely the identity thing. I mean, um, it's funny, this has actually happened to me not that long ago. So I was already fairly, I mean, more or less recovered. And it was, I think, Thanksgiving or Christmas at my boyfriend's family's house. And she had pumpkin pie for dessert. And then she literally got everyone a piece and she just didn't give me one. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, why? <laughs> you know, and thank goodness I was more recovered. But I remember kind of being like, well, it, it was, it was, I felt a little sad in that moment because I was like, wait, like I felt totally put into a box. I felt like she's not even asking me. She's just 100% assuming. And I mean, with this comment in general, I feel like anything that starts with, well, I assume is like, maybe you shouldn't be saying that because (laughs) that is super messed up to not even cut you, not even ask. That's crazy. I know. It was really weird. I I don't know what was going through her mind. I would cry. (laughs) I have this situation, uh, the same as Madeline, not exactly the same actually, but like a lot of times where they would give me a smaller, smaller sample of whatever was for dessert and be like, you can just have one. You can just try and be like, okay, I can just try with a normal piece like you all have too. Like, you know, I don't like people making that decision for me. And even I think when you're in your eating disorder recovery, I think that's one of the things, right, is like getting back that autonomy and that decision-making and growing and building your self-esteem, that confidence is really not like what you're reaching when people make these comments. So I really think this is, and I know, Andrea, you said it many times, like where are the boundaries? And I think you have to be like, stand up for yourself and be like, I want that piece too. Give me the pumpkin pie. You know, like Madeline said, like, I want a piece. I worked really hard to feel comfortable around these things. And now I want my piece. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. I think thankfully for me, because my eating disorder behaviors would be so all over the place and I'd be from one extreme to the other, it would be hard to assume I was unpredictable. So I think if anything, I might get a question like, are you doing dessert today? Like, <laughs> where are we at today? So <laughs> I didn't get those kind of assumptions, but yeah. That's where I was at. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we don't know about you. Are you a vegan? Are you? Yeah. Like, what's what's <laughs> the deal today? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I love what you guys are saying here that it is about the self-advocacy because the whole thing about recovery and, and growth and coming into a new identity because identity literally just breaks down to repeated beingness. Like when you look at the etymology of like the word identity, it it literally means like doing the same thing over and over. It's just repeated beingness. So if you repeatedly go to these events, you repeatedly are around people with a certain way of eating and then through recovery, that's transforming and changing. They need to be like updated. It's almost like a operating system update. Like they also need to be updated because they're not there along the daily journey with you as you're growing and changing your identity and becoming a new person and having new ways of being and doing around food. So for them, it's like they kind of need to be cued in. Like, yeah, oh no, I used to struggle with that or I used to pass up pumpkin pie, but I love pumpkin pie. I, I am happy to have a piece and a, a piece the same size as everybody else, right? So this idea that, well, we do have to advocate for what we want, but Oftentimes, too, we have to clue other people in to our evolution. And instead of just being bitter or resentful or kind of looking at them, as they don't they don't know what they don't know. So if they haven't seen your journey and the, the new decisions you're making around food, then 
they're likely just to come in where they last saw you or where they last met you or they last know of. Like I said, I still get questions from all my family members around if I'm vegan. <laughs> like, that was like so 15 years ago. So yeah. I have to keep being like, no, I'm not vegan. Yeah. And there's so many people, like if you're not in the recovery world, so many people don't realize like it's just not appropriate. Like sometimes you have to spell it out for them and sometimes it's, we don't always feel up for it. It's hard to do. Like I can't remember who mentioned this earlier, but someone said like, you know, stepping away from diet culture is radical. Not a ton of people know about it. Or if they do know about it, they might be judgmental of it in a negative way. So it's it's tricky. Well, I feel like, I mean, I already sort of said it before, but I do feel like as much as yes, I totally agree with you. I think we have to sort of own up to our own journey and sometimes inform people or educate them or sort of share with them where we're at. And at the same time, I do think it's a great sort of moment to self-reflect and also just become aware of this idea that, again, assumptions are just dangerous. Like I, I was just thinking as we were talking, like if we put this in a different context, like if, if you had a friend who you knew was really introverted and just generally didn't like parties, like, and you had this party that you were maybe throwing or got invited to that you could bring them, or I don't know. I mean, again, saying this, I'm sure there's people that would say, oh, I assume you don't want to come, but I'll ask you anyways, but that might not be how you'd phrase it. You might be more likely to say something like, hey, by the way, there's this party. Do you want to come? And already know in your mind that it probably will say no, but why not formulate it more as a question and not already have that assumption that you know? Yeah, that's Mm. smart. I love that example of like asking someone out like that to put it in a whole nother context because some people may be coming out of a, a more isolation time period or period of isolation and want to connect. And if you don't invite them because you assume that they don't want to come, then in, in that way, you're kind of limiting that connection and that opportunity. Yeah, it's also yeah. more positive to ask it that way, right? It's like when where you're already saying like, we're going on a hike, I guess you're not coming. Then I'm already like, okay, now I'm even afraid to say I want to come. So like, I think <laughs> it, it also makes it a little more positive, right? When you phrase it, like have that open-ended question, have the person decide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so... This was a great conversation about all these things. And I think a major thread that came through was uh, with all of these comments was to have boundaries. So you can say, you know, I prefer to not talk about my food. I prefer to not talk about my weight. I don't see it the same as you. Like, let's leave this outside of our conversation. Um, Self-advocacy. So really, you know, not looking to other people to determine what you can or can't eat and what you are, are going to be to be having on your plate. Any other kind of closing thoughts you guys have around this topic or anything you think came alive for you in this conversation? I think you covered it. (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries. We're going to still do a whole other show on boundaries because I think there's more ways of kind of looking at how to, to really set those. Boundaries can be hard to set when you're not used to setting them. But as you do it more and more, it becomes way easier and you become way stronger. And I know that for me, when I set boundaries, I always win. And who doesn't want to win? (laughs) True that. (laughs) Well, you guys are a winning team and I absolutely love connecting with you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I loved this. Thank you for having us. (laughs) This was so fun.
Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this warrior.